This is the Internet Multicasting Service. Harper Audio presents William Faulkner reading from his Stream of Consciousness style novel, As I Lay Dying. Paul stands beside the bed, from behind his vague Baldwin peers, with his round head and his eyes round, and his mouth beginning to open. She looks at Paul. All her failing life appears to drain into her eyes, urgent, irremediable. It's Jewel she wants, Duadell says. Why, Addie, Paul says, him and Dahl went to make one more loan. They thought there was time, that you would wait for them, and that three dollars and all, he stoops, laying his hand on hers. For a while yet she looks at him without reproach, without anything at all, as if her eyes alone to listen to the irrevocable cessation of his voice. Then she raises herself, who has not moved in ten days. Duadel leans down, trying to press her back. Ma, she says, Ma, she is looking out the window, a cash stooping steadily at the board in the fading light, laboring on toward darkness into it, as though the stroking of the saw illumined its own motion, board and saw engendered. You cash, she shouts, her voice harsh, strong and unimpaired. You cash. He looks up at the gaunt face framed by the window in the twilight. It is composite picture of all time since he was a child. He drops the saw and lifts the board for her to see, watching the window in which her face has not moved. He drags a second plank into position and slants the two of them into that final juxtaposition, gesturing toward the one jet on the ground, shaping with his empty hand and pantomime the finished box. For a while she still looks down at him from the composite picture, neither with sanction nor approbation. Then the face disappears. She lies back and turns her head without so much as glancing at Paul. She looks at Baldwin, her eyes, the life in them rushing suddenly upon them. The two flames glare up for a steady instant, then they go out as though someone is laying down and blown upon them. Maul Uedell says, Maul, leaning above the bed, her hands lifted a little, the fan still moving like it was for ten days, she begins to keen. Her voice is strong, young, tremulous and clear, wrapped with its own timbre and volume, the fan still moving steadily up and down, whispering the useless air. Then she flings herself across Addie Bundy's knees, clutching her, shaking her with the furious strength of the young, before sprawling suddenly across the handful of rotten bones that Addie Bundy left, jarring the whole bed into a chattering sibilance of Matthew Shuck, her arms outflung in the fan and one hand still beating with the expiring breath into the quilt. From behind Paul's leg, Baldwin tears, his mouth full open and all color draining from his face into his mouth, as though he has by some means fleshed his own teeth in himself, sucking. He begins to move slowly backward from the bed, his eyes round, his pale face fading into the dust like a piece of paper pasted on a failing wall, and so out the door. Paul leans above the bed in the twilight, his humped silhouette partaken of that owl-like quality of a wry feathered, disgruntled outrage within which lurks a wisdom too profound or too inert for even thought. Darn them boys, he says. Jewel, I say, overhead the day drives level and gray, hiding the sun by a flight of gray spears. In the rain, the new smoke a little, splashed yellow with mud, the off one clinging and sliding lunges to the side of the road above the ditch. The tilted lumber gleams dull yellow, water-soaked and heavy as lead, tilted at a steep angle into the ditch above the broken wheel, above the shattered spokes and above Jewel's ankles, the runnel of yellow water, neither earth nor water swerves, curving with the yellow road, neither earth nor water, down the hill, dissolving into a steaming mass of dark green, neither earth nor sky. Jewel, I say. 
Cash comes to the door, carrying the soul. Paul stands beside the bed, humped, his arms dangling. He turned his head, his shabby profile, his chin collapsing slowly as he works the snuff against his gum. She's gone, Cash says. She's taken and left us, Paul says. Cash does not look at him. How now are you done, Paul says. Cash does not answer. He enters carrying the soul. I reckon you better get at it, Paul says. You'll have to do the best you can with them boys going off that away. Cash looks down at her face. He is not listening to Paul at all. He does not approach the bed. He stops in the middle of the floor, the saw against his leg, his sweating arms powdered lightly with sawdust, his face composed. If you get in a tight, maybe some of them will get here tomorrow and help you, Paul says. Vernon could. Cash is not listening. He is looking down at her peaceful, rigid face fading into the dusk as though darkness were a precursor of the ultimate earth until at last the face seems to float detached upon it, lightly as the reflection of a dead leaf. There's Christians enough to help you, Paul says. Cash is not listening. After a while he turns without looking at Paul and leaves the room. Then the saw begins to snore again. They will help us in our sorrow, Paul says. The sound of the saw is steady, confident, unhurried, stirring the dying light so that each stroke of face seems to wake a little into an expression of listening and of waiting. As though she were counting the stroke, Paul looks down at the face, at the black sprawl of Duedel's hair, the outflung arms, the clutch fan now motionless on the fading quilt. I reckon you better get supper on, he says. Duedel doesn't move. Get up now and put supper on, Paul says. We got to keep our strength up. I reckon Dr. Peabody's right hungry coming all this way, and Cash will need to eat quick and get back to work so he can finish it in time. Duedel rises, heaving to her feet. She looks down at the face. It is like a casting of fading bronze upon a pillar. The hands alone still within the semblance of life. They curl, gnawed, and this. His spent yet a late quality from which weariness, exhaustion, travail has not yet departed. As though they doubted even yet the actuality of rest, guarding with haunted and penurious alertness the cessation which they know cannot last. Duedel stoops and slides the quilt from beneath them and draws it up over them to the chin, smoothing it down, drawing it smooth. Then, without looking at Paul, she goes around the bed and leaves the room. She will go out where Peabody is, where she can stand in the twilight and look at his back with such an expression that, feeling her eyes and turning, he will say, I would not let it grieve me now. She was old and sick too, suffering more than we knew. She couldn't have got well. Baldwin's getting big now, and with you to take good care of them all, I would try not to let it grieve me. I expect you'd better go and get some supper ready. Don't have to be much, but they'll need to eat, and she looking at him saying, you could do so much for me if you just would, if you just knew. I am I, and you are you, and I know it, and you don't know it, and you could do so much for me if you just would. And if you just would, then I could tell you, and then nobody would have to know it except you and me and Doll. Paul stands over the bed, dangle arm, humped, motionless. He raises his hand to his head, scouring his hair, listening to the soul. He comes nearer and rubs his hand, palm and back on his thigh, and lays it on her face, and then on the hump of quilt where her hands are. He touches the quilt as he saw Duedel do, trying to smooth it up to the chin, but disarranging it instead. He tries to smooth it again clumsily, his hand awkward as a claw, smoothing at the wrinkles which he made and which continued to emerge beneath his hand with perverse ubiquity, so that at last he desists, his hand falling to his side, and stroking itself again, palm and back on his thigh. The sound of the soul snores steadily into the room. Paul breathes with a quiet rasping sound, mouthing the snuff against his gums, 
God's will be done, he says. Now I can get them tea. Jewel's hat drooped limp over his neck, Chandler walked onto the soaked toe sack tied about his shoulders. As ankles deep in the running ditch, he prized with a slipping two by four for the piece of rotting log for Fulcrum at the axle. Jewel, I say she is dead. Jewel, Eddie Bundren is dead. This has been Harper Audio. Harper Collins is the copyright owner of this recording and has consented to a limited distribution of Harper Audio as an 8 kilohertz computer sound file on Internet Town Hall. It is a violation of United States and international copyright laws to copy these recordings in any other way. Harper Audio is a trademark of Harper Collins Publishers Inc. To order a copy of this tape or to request a catalog of all Harper Audio spoken word cassettes, please call 1-800-C-HARPER or 717-941-1214 or send mail to harper at town.hall.org. This has been a production of the Internet Multicasting Service. Support for Harper Audio is provided by HarperCollins and by Sun Microsystems and O'Reilly and Associates. Network connectivity for the Internet Multicasting Service is provided by UUNet Technologies and MFS Datanets.